0: Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We will begin reading in verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30, and read to the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things when it was already quite late his disciples came to him and said this place is desolate and is it is already quite late send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat but he answered them you give them something to eat And they said to him, "'Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat?' And he said to them, "'How many loaves do you have? Go look.' And when they found out, they said, "'Five, and two fish.' And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. A couple years ago, I was sitting in class. The class was called Intro to Religion. So it was more than a couple years ago. Okay? I was in college. It feels like a couple years ago. Probably 27. And the professor was a local pastor. He was also the acting president of the school at the time, the Christian college, university, and was explaining how none of what we claim to be miracles in the New Testament are actually miraculous. There was a denial of all of the miraculous. And... I remember two specific miracles that he dealt with, and the feeding of the 5,000, which we're considering during our time today, is one of them that has stuck with me both of these years since his class. So, (laughs) both 27 of them. But he explained that the reason at the end of, of the miracle that there was so much food left over, 12 baskets full of bread and fish left over is because everybody had actually brought their own lunch that day. So, they had all packed their own lunch, and then when it was time to eat at the end of the day, they all just passed around and shared with one another, and what wasn't consumed ended up being 12 baskets left over. So, yeah, that poor guy… that is not what I plan to say about uh, this uh, miracle today. I plan to say that that is completely wrong. I, my guess is I wouldn't have to convince most of you that that is an absurd take on the New Testament, on this miracle specifically, on the power and might of Jesus, and on the Scriptures and their inerrancy and the confidence that we should have in them. The feeding of the 5,000 is a very well-known miracle performed by Jesus. It's one of only two miracles that all four gospel writers record for us, the other being the resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection appears in all four, and the feeding of the 5,000. So there's something about it that was really miraculous, that really made every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all coming from different angles— they felt it necessary to include it in their recording of the life and works of Jesus Christ. There are aspects of Jesus that are displayed or revealed for us in the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it is important that we not sentimentalize these stories or miracles that are recorded for us in the Bible. The idea of, of feeding 5,000 people with basically nothing to start with is so far beyond reason. We can't even begin to comprehend it. So, as a result of that, we, we are prone as, as humans who are incapable to sentimentalize it or to say, you know, that's for the felt board Sunday school class, but it can't really be true. And before long, we are just like that college professor a couple years ago who's completely convinced that all the miracles can be explained away in some fashion. But there's more here. There's more significance. I'm convinced that there's more significance in this miracle and in Mark's recording of it than just how many people Jesus fed. That is significant, but that goes without saying. I think it's shocking, actually, to see how the miracle actually shows up here in the text. We'll draw attention to it again, but if you look down at verse 41, Jesus took, Jesus blessed, Jesus kept giving, Jesus divided up. Somewhere in there, five loaves and two fish turned into a meal for 5,000. That's not a lot of emphasis on the miracle itself. Do you know where the emphasis is? It's on this person, this man, this Messiah, this Christ. Jesus went ashore. He saw a large crowd. He felt compassion. Jesus sees the crowd. He feels their hunger. He feels their weariness. He feels their lostness. He feels their diseases, their infirmities, their injuries. He felt compassion for them, Mark says. And as a result, he teaches them. And in teaching them, he reveals his power to create. And he shows and convinces them of his commitment to provide for them. And he also reveals a little bit more of his own personal strategy or his means for reaching the world. That is, through his people. So, if I had to kind of summarize the whole theme of this text, or more specifically, this sermon, the pity of Christ for his people and the providing of Christ for their needs. He has compassion on them. He meets their needs. He has compassion on them. He uses His people to meet His people's needs, and not just His people, but the world at large, and we'll see that as we work through the text together. So, verses 30 through 44, that's backing up. The first point is given to playing catch-up and getting a running start from last week because it very much is part of the context of the first portion of today's text. But looking at verses 30 through 32, I've titled it, Come Away with Jesus. Verses 33 to 34, the compassion of Jesus. 35 to 38, commanding Jesus 39 to 41, creating bread, and 42 to 44, collecting leftovers. Come away with Jesus, compassion of Jesus, commanding Jesus, creating bread, and collecting leftovers. Come away with Christ. Jesus said to them, verse 31, well, for full context, the, verse 30, the apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported to Him all that they had done and taught. You Remember? He pulled them together back in verse 7, he summoned the 12, he began to send them out in pairs, he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, he instructed them what to take, what not to take, and they went out preaching repentance. They went out preaching the gospel and doing good deeds, healing the sick and anointing them with oil. And so they come back, they talk to Jesus, and Jesus' response after them telling him all that they've done is, come away with me, verse 31, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Lots of people were coming and going. There was a lot of ministry to be done. They were given to the needs and to serving, and Jesus calls them to come away because, as Mark includes here, parenthetically, they didn't even have time to eat. And so they got in a boat in order to go to a secluded place by themselves. After all that they had just told Jesus, Jesus was very well aware, probably from the tone and from the fatigue he could see in their faces. But Jesus, too, had been with them. And think about all the serving that Jesus had done. Settling the stormy seas, calming the swirling winds, healing the crazed demoniac, curing the woman with the issue of blood, raising Jairus' daughter, facing the dishonor of family and friends, training and sending the twelve apostles. So, Jesus doesn't say, go away to a secluded place. He says, come away with me. Jesus, too, is attempting to get away to a secluded place and to spend time with his father. There was a need for rest, One translation says it this way come apart with me. And you've probably all heard it said. We ought to come apart with Jesus, or our lives will come apart. That's what Jesus is saying to his apostles here come away by yourselves, come away with me to a secluded place. And they went away. He calls us to rest. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters to a secluded place. This is is not a desert. It will be referred to again here as a desolate place. Verse 35, this place is desolate, the disciples said to him. But secluded and desolate is not a desert. It was green and lush. In fact, it's also referenced here. We note the green grass in verse 39. He commanded them to sit down by groups on the green grass. So it's not a desert, but it's, it's a place where they can be alone with Christ. And Christ can be alone with His apostles and with His Father. So come away with Jesus. But the people saw them going, verse 33, so much for rest. The people saw them going. And the people recognized them as Jesus and His disciples. And so they ran ahead the disciples and Jesus are in the boat and people run around the sea in order to get to the, they're probably running a little bit at a time. Are they still going? Are they still going? And, and they end up at the place where Jesus and the disciples were headed. They got there ahead of them, verse 33 tells us. They were desperate to see him, which is really surprising and shaming to us in so many ways that they were committed to find a way to be with Jesus and with his disciples. They wanted to be around them. It's remarkable that they do not believe after they sit under all of his teaching. But they were committed. So they get the, they, Jesus and the disciples get there. Verse 34 Jesus went ashore. He saw the large crowd waiting. Look at how he responds. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. His first thought, he's tired, he's weary. All kinds of ministry has been going on, even his apostles. he's, He's trained 12. He sent them out, so he's not doing all the work alone anymore. He's given them authority. They need to rest. They've set aside this time to rest. They show up at the secluded place for the purpose of resting, and the masses are there. Thousands of people have met them, and Jesus' response is so different than what mine would have been. He felt compassion for them. He pitied them. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. Matthew says he saw that they were distressed and dispirited or harassed and helpless, distressed by demons. And helpless because of their afflictions. He recognized their incurable diseases and their chronic ailments, and he had compassion on them. He knew that they were dispirited by their sorrows and the poverty, and bothered by their bitter memories. He knew that they were being harassed, that they were oppressed politically and religiously. And they were distressed by their own guilt and sin, afflicted and torn by their own consciences. Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And if there's anything that sheep need, it's a shepherd. Sheep have a lot of things working against them. They're dumb, they're slow, they're tasty. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if Darwinism were true, sheep would not exist. (laughs) Jesus felt compassion for them. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. Even this, this phrase would, would have been ringing old realities, shaking them out in the minds of those who, hear, who would hear Him. Listen to Numbers 27. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, "'May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them.'" and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. From the beginning of time, God has been concerned about His people not having a shepherd. Moses, petitioning to the Lord, won't you give them a man so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd? Won't you give them a shepherd? Or 1 Kings 22, King Ahab said to Micaiah, "'How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord?' And Ahab got what he asked for, not what he wanted, because Micaiah said, "'I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, like sheep which have no shepherd.' And the Lord said, "'These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace.'" So Micaiah did prophesy, and he prophesied the truth, saying basically, you, King Ahab, have failed because you are evil. Or a more extensive passage, Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Ezekiel writes, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. Here's Jesus can see some of those realities as he sees the people and their needs here in Mark 6, continuing in Ezekiel. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, You shepherds hear the word of the Lord as I live declares the Lord God surely because my flock has become a prey my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd and my shepherds did not search for my flock but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord God behold I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep so the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And that's what we see happening here in Mark chapter 6. Here's Jesus seeking out his sheep as a shepherd cares for his herd. Ezekiel continues, quoting the Lord. In the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture." And their growing graze will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. How will he do it? Ezekiel goes on to tell us, quoting what God says there. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them and he will feed he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And likewise, in 2 Samuel 5, 2, the Lord said to you, David, you will shepherd my people Israel. You'll be a ruler over Israel. And we know that it wasn't David, the young shepherd boy, but David was pointing forward to the Messiah, to Jesus and that is coming to fruition here in Mark six thirty four, when Jesus sees the large crowd and He felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and He knew He had come to shepherd them. He felt compassion for them and fulfillment of God promising in the days of Ezekiel, giving what Moses was asking for, fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel, and accomplishing fulfillment through David. The fulfillment is seen here in this famous miracle. Jesus feeling compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How does the good shepherd show compassion? Again, verse 34 Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does all of this compassion and pity for the people accomplish? How does he respond? What's the remedy? He began to teach them many things. How does the good shepherd show compassion? By teaching them. Teaching them many things. There is a priority in Jesus that is the ministry of the word. Now, Matthew tells us that he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. We know even here he felt compassion for them and he fills their stomach. But the primary need is truth taught. It's not that the other stuff doesn't matter. It's hugely important as well. But it's all in vain apart from the priority being the ministry of the Word, the truth being taught. He feels compassion for them because they're lost. So he begins to teach them many things, and we have no idea what those many things were. He spends most of the day teaching, and we have no idea. Surely it included some of the staples, like love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself, and love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The compassion of Christ for the lost. And then after teaching, when it was already quite late, The disciples came to him and said, commanding him, commanding Jesus was the third point, and this is where it comes from. The disciples are commanding Jesus what to do. Notice that in verse 35. It's getting late. They come to Jesus and say, this place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away. So that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That's something we might expect Jesus to tell his disciples. Hey, cause them to disperse. Let's disperse the crowd, send them out to get something to eat. But that's not the way it happened here. They're telling God what to do. The disciples are tired. Let them eat and let us rest. Remember, that's what we're here for. And now we've added another day to all that we've been doing. Now, there's some guise of compassion here, potentially. They're hungry. They're also getting rid of the crowd. So Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. They said, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? They tell Jesus, send them away. Jesus says, no, you just feed them. He's commanding the impossible. What did they have? Jesus knew where they had been the previous at least 24 hours. He knew they didn't have food for 5,000 plus. But he tells them, he commands the impossible, which is not at all unlike what God continues to do with his people, what he's done from the beginning of time. He's planning to provide the command. But he's teaching them, training them to trust in him, to believe him he's still training the 12 here he didn't just train them and send them out but but they're still in the school of discipleship like all of us are that he's also involving them he's testing and increasing their faith as they walk through this massive predicament with them I mean, go back to verse 30 remember the apostles had gathered together with jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught and that was sounds like a glorious meeting But so, Jesus is careful to make sure that they avoid arrogance by commanding them to feed this multitude. You say the people are hungry, just go feed them. You have all my authority, remember? And so, they are quickly confronted. We can see by their response, they're reminded with their own inability and forced, again, afresh to face their utter dependence on Christ. Christ. We know that they're at a loss with what to do because they ask the question, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread? A denarii is about a day's wage, so 200 days' worth of wages. One of the gospel writers references eight months of wages. But the the impossibility is expressed. I mean, you can just quickly think about it in today's terms. It was 5,000 men, most... People assume that there's 20,000 or so people there who all ate. You have any idea what it would cost to feed 20,000 people? It's easy math. I mean, if you're able to do at $3 a person, you're looking at 60 grand. But what, what was their problem with, with all these calculations that they're doing? The problem is they're calculating without Christ, <laughs> He's not one of the variables in the equation. They're trying to figure out how to do it. He says, go do it. What should they have done? Not, do you want us to go do this or that? They should have just said, help us. Help us. Show us how. You've brought us this far. We're with you. They didn't ask how, but he tells them how. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? Go look. See what you can come up with. We can already tell. Again, we know the end of the story, so it's difficult for us to not hear the end of the story, but we can imagine being in this situation, and you hear the the hints of promised provision coming through. And they come back. Five. Five loaves. These are not big loaves. Probably like a bun roll, and two fish. It was great. Jesus said, only, ask, only see what the loaves are. So, there's bonus. They're like, we only found five, but we found two fish, because that's going to go a long way in this situation. They felt the need to mention it. But what great encouragement here from Christ, not just for the original apostles there in this situation, but for us as we read it, He desires to use us, to involve us in advancing His kingdom, in accomplishing His purposes. And He doesn't need a lot. The apostles had nothing. We know from one of the other gospel accounts that even the five loaves and the two fish didn't come from their own bag, their own resources. They found a little boy the only boy in the whole crowd whose mom thought about that he needed to eat that day, evidently. <laughs> but Jesus didn't need much. And time and again, God has proven to use his people for his purposes. Joseph was a slave who was used to rescue the entire nation, Daniel was a kid prisoner that God used in remarkable ways. David was a boy shepherd who became king. Naaman was healed by the servant in his home, knowing a man. When massive issues are pondered, and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children is a massive issue when you're starting with basically nothing. When we face those types of issues in life and we look within to consider how to meet those needs with our own resources, one of two responses will result every time. One option is despair because we cannot meet the need. And the other option would be arrogance because we can. And despair and arrogance are two sides of the same coin. Self-reliance. Jesus is teaching His disciples and us to look to Him for everything, even, or we, may, or we may say it this way, especially the impossible. It was an absolute impossibility for the disciples to give them something to eat, which is what Jesus told them to do. In and of themselves, it was completely impossible. The twelve had nothing. A boy wandering by had five loaves and two fish. You know what's remarkable to think about? Jesus didn't even need the starter kit. Why is it there? Because he desires to use us. It's an encouragement, even a little bit. Whatever you've got, it's enough for Christ to use to advance His kingdom and to promote His glory. He encourages us by showing us that He can use whatever we have, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant. Even if it stinks like fish. But to Moses, God said, what is that in your hand? A staff. And the staff is what God used to perform the many miracles. God will use what we have. He's given us what we have, and He's given it to us because He desires to use it for His own name's sake. Coming to verse 39. So, Jesus now has five loaves and two fish, and He commands them all. Talk about authority. 20,000 folks, give or take, commands them to sit down. And they do, in groups of hundreds and fifties. There's organization. This is wonderful for me because I like organization. (laughs) But there's organization involved, there's logistics. Jesus here being practical and being an organizer. It's one of the reasons. We can have confidence with regard to the number of people there. They split them up in groups. It makes it very easy to count when you do this in groups of hundreds and fifties. So, it's, it's not just a broad number that some guesstimate, but there's a, His authority is evidenced. In fact, they're seating in a very military-like manner. And when they do, verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves of two fish. He looks up toward heaven He blessed the food. He broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before them, and He divided up the two fish among them all. As I referenced already, He divided and distributed. That's where the miracle happens. The title is multiplying division. Division doesn't really work that way unless you're Jesus. And He divides it up, and it multiplies there's so little emphasis on the miracle itself. It's it's nonchalantly done and accomplished. Why? Because it's effortless for Him. He didn't have to reach deep into His bag of tricks. He didn't have to think really hard. He just thanks God, breaks the bread, and keeps on distributing it. Five loaves, two fish, The human stomach holds about a quart of food, 20,000 folks, 20,000 quarts, 5,000 gallons. Think five-gallon buckets, a thousand of them, a thousand five-gallon buckets just dividing and blessing. He's creating it, which is no shock that He could create in this manner. Having created the world in which we live, why could He not create? But notice what He created and what He didn't create. He created what we might call mature bread, ready to eat. Mature fish, ready to consume. Not the seed of the grain, or the stalk, or the head, or the flour, or the dough. He doesn't create it for them raw, but it's baked with precision. It's just right. It's not dense from being underbaked. It's not burnt from being overbaked. He didn't provide caviar or roe. They weren't fish eggs. He didn't get mere minnows, but prepared, most likely pickled. Again, mature, similar to, to sardines. In fact, they would often eat fish with bread mainly just to wet it a little bit to help it go down. This is what God provides. Ready to eat loaves and fish. Now, it didn't even happen that way in the days when manna was provided. If you remember from the reading in Numbers 11, they had to go out and gather it. They had to grind it. They had to do a little work and put a little bit into it, but not here. The Messiah has come, and He's providing all that they need. In essence, saying, come to me. He will say it very pointedly, I am the bread of life. Jesus took, Jesus blessed, Jesus gave, Jesus divided, and He just kept on happening. And for the people who are receiving it, there would have been lots of Passover undertones that they would have been hearing and seeing. And as we look at it now, there's a lot of glimpses to the Lord's Supper and His body being given to us. And they all ate. The fifth point, collecting leftovers. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men Ate the loaves. Twelve baskets. Why? Why make excess? Why draw attention to this? To keep us from doubting, to convince us this absolutely, it's further proof that it happened. Because the food inside their stomachs is not visible, but the leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers, it's clear evidence that a miracle has happened. Verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. That's not satisfied in the way that we're supposed to eat day after day. It is literally, they were gorged. They ate to their fill. Everybody had more than enough. Enough which is exactly the way Jesus is with his mercy and his grace and his love towards us as his people there's always enough to go around he is abundant in his loving kindnesses towards us verse 44 there were 5000 men who ate the loaves not just present right again so helpful for Mark here because we would be prone to explain this away. Okay, sure, yeah, there were, there were 5,000 plus their families gathered, but did they all really eat? Mark makes clear, they weren't just present, they weren't just witnesses, everybody ate. You know what they didn't eat? They didn't eat each other's lunch. They ate what Jesus provided for them. I think it's also helpful for us to consider this compassion that Jesus had for them because it's what we might call common compassion. Jesus didn't say, according to your faith, it will be done for you when He's breaking the bread and providing food. It was common grace. He fed them all. And He still provides food for all of mankind, day after day, those who love Him, those who hate Him. He provides air to breathe, water to drink, and food to fill. The evil and the good, the sun shines on both, the just and the unrighteous. Oh, that we would worship Him for His compassion and worship Him for His power. And worship Him for His generous provision and worship Him for His wonderful wisdom and worship Him for His kept promises. If you don't know Him, if you stand at a distance but you acknowledge that you've been a recipient of this kind of compassion, you recognize that God has been kind to you, there's kindness more. Be had in Christ. If your conscience is not free of guilt from sin, it can be. Your need is Christ. Come to Him, run to Him, believe in Him, trust Him, turn from your sin, repent of your sin. John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Spiritually speaking, the longings that you have, that that inner sense that you were made for something bigger than what you see around you can only be satisfied by Christ. Jesus continues, I said to to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus made a promise, and he's never broken a single promise. You will not be the first that he breaks a promise to. Come to him. He promises right here. He will never cast anyone out who comes to him. I've come down from heaven, he continues, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is that will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. What a glorious reality that all who are in Christ will be raised up in Christ to live with Him forever and ever. For this is the will of my Father, Jesus says, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. If you want eternal life, if you recognize your need for eternal life in Christ, come to Jesus. He says later in the same chapter, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. He is a God of all compassion, and he desires that you come and find rest and salvation and forgiveness in him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word, that You have revealed Yourself to us in it, and You've granted us help by Your Spirit, that we might know it at least in some measure. God give us grace now to live in light of it, to apply it, to find all our hope in Jesus, whom our souls love. And God, we do pray that You'll show Yourself strong, that You'll rescue the perishing, that You'll save the wondering, and that you will accomplish sanctification and maturation in all of your people as we seek to honor you in everything. For Jesus' sake, amen.